You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So today, as promised, we're going to look at the Green Bay Packers defense. Again, I kind of want to do position by position, but hopefully do a little bit of a better job of glossing over PFF. Um, I mentioned I was going to gloss because I didn't want to mention the negatives, but I don't know if I gave a super clear picture of the uh, offensive side of the ball. So let me do that really quickly, just to run through the, uh, the guys that did a really good job. I mentioned there were seven guys. Those seven guys are, number one, Devontae Adams, who is by far the best um, elite grade, comfortably into the elite grades. That is his third elite game of the year, fourth game of 80 or above. I mean, when I, when I say the guy is consistently dominant, I mean, his worst game was against Carolina. That was the one game where everybody was kind of sleeping, and apparently Devontae was sleeping. And he comes back and has the second best game of the year. The only other game he was graded higher was Houston, which might mean this is the second highest grade. Eh, I don't know. That Seattle one's pretty high, and I don't want to spend all day talking about the offense because we did that yesterday. But great game from Devontae. Then number two, as many of you heard, Mr. A.J. Dillon, which, just a little side note, I did drop my height. I had no intention of getting it done, but once I got started, I was like, I think I can get this done. I ended up staying up to like 9, which is an hour past my bedtime, but it was like, I'm so close, I got to get this out. Plus, it's terrible timing. You, if you want to release a video, don't do it at 8 o'clock. Not that everybody goes to bed at 8, but it only gives you a couple hours of premium timing. You want to get it out you know, kind of early afternoon so that you get all day of that thing building up. And then the algorithms are like, wow, look at all the people looking. I just, I couldn't control myself. I was like, I'm no, it's going out now. I want it to be published. It's, I mean, it's not the greatest quality in the world and there's some certain flaws, but I'm not going to sit here for a month and work on this thing. This is my first attempt. It's going to have some warts and then every consecutive video after gets better. But this one comes out today. So that is up on my YouTube channel, Pack Daddy NFL. I also put it up in the Packernet Podcast Facebook page. If you have not subscribed or liked either of those two things, there's a good chance you have not seen it. I am going to share it around Facebook a little bit, but I'm going to wait a little bit more for that better timing. So if you'd like to not wait for me to share it into the group or whatever, um, just go to one of those two places and you should be able to find it. But uh, A.J. Dillon talked about, you know, fifth best running back right now overall. The stats are just stupid. And it's one of those things where you can say, well, it's a small sample size. I don't know how well he's able to keep that up. But the last time I said that, it was about Aaron Jones after his first year. And I said he's not going to be able to maintain over a five-yard per carry average. There's like three running backs in NFL history that have done that in their career. There's no way. And he currently still ha- still has that. Aaron Jones is, is a freak. So I'm not going to be doubting people uh, that are Green Bay Packers running backs with stupid stats. Especially since this isn't even as crazy. I mean, it, we're talking about like broken tackles by a 250-pound running back. This one kind of makes sense. Aaron Jones kind of came out of left field. It's a late-round running back that got 5.1 yards per carry in his rookie year or whatever. It's like, that's that's impossible to maintain. And he did. Man, I hate that we're going to probably lose that guy. Just feel like he, you know, in, in another lifetime, the guy would have been an all-time great. You know, if he was on a team that ran the ball a lot, maybe in a different era, although he's a smaller back, but still, where they appreciated running backs more as opposed to 2020, where they're like, Neh. yeah, he's, he's got one of the best yard per carry averages in NFL history, but uh, he's a running back, so just uh, throw him in the scrap pile. That sucks. At the very least, I wish Aaron Jones was kind of a jerk or something, you know? If he wasn't like the nicest human being on earth, 
then I can be like, that's nah, business, get out of my face. But I can't do that because it's Aaron Jones and he's a good dude. Number three on the offensive list was Equinemius St. Brown, believe it or not. Um, this is part of the reason why it's good to just do this in order. There wasn't much to talk about Equinemius St. Brown in the course of where we're at right now. But, you know, I, I think we kind of just forget about Equinemius because it's easy. But there's no reason... I mean, if, if, if you're hyped up about MVS, you should be hyped up about Equinemius. I mean, if you're pessimistic, as I was about MVS, then maybe I should be pessimistic about, about Equinemius. I'm being unfair because I like Equinemius. But, I mean, he's pretty similar as far as being in the same category. He actually grades out a little higher on a year-to-year basis than MVS did. MVS is like high 50s and Equinemius is like low 60s. We haven't seen a ton from him. Um, he actually started the season week 6 through 11 with getting really no good grades at all. His highest game was a 65, and that was actually week 11. So if we say from week 6 to 10, his highest grade was a 62. From week 11 through 16, he had two games that weren't great, two games that were mid to high 60s, and then two games actually in the high 70s. Uh, Week 12 against Chicago, and these aren't really small sample sizes. He had 38 snaps in week 12, 18 this week in in, uh, Tennessee. He's playing a decent amount. So clearly there's far too many bad games, you know, against Philadelphia 46, against Carolina 46. But the fact that we're starting to see more of the flashes, it's a good thing. And I, I dare I say it's even more consistent already than MVS. I mean, it's only it's only like three games, but it's three games over five weeks that he's had pretty solid games. So we'll see. I mean, it, it would be nice, um, even if he's not a premier weapon, if we can get another guy that's like an every second or third or even fourth week kind of a guy, because we got Lazard that does that every third week or so he has a good game. You got MVS every third or so week he has a good game. You got Tunyon every third week or so he has a good game. You add Equidemius, and it's it's very unlikely that you don't have somebody popping off, if not two guys. So the more guys we can have doing that, until we can get a wide receiver that's, you know, a little bit more of like Devontae. Well, not even Devontae. A guy that, let's say every three weeks he has a bad game, as opposed to every three weeks he has a good game. That would be nice. So um, I guess we should probably underscore that. I haven't really talked about it at all. There isn't that much to talk about, but again, if we're going to talk about Lazard and MVS, Equinemius belongs in the same conversation. He hasn't done as much in terms of, um, you know, big-time stats. He doesn't have the MVS 60-yard touchdown. He doesn't have the Lazard two-touchdown game, but he's grading out well, meaning he's kind of winning on his routes, and he's doing a good job. And this past week, again, we, we saw the, the touchdown for the first time, so it finally paid off. We finally got a stat to put next to his name. It's kind of similar to Rashawn, where the, the, uh, the stats were there, but nobody really saw it because they were pressure stats and not really a lot of sack stats. So people that hated Rashawn were all excited because they saw zero sacks and thought that that meant something. Anyways, number four, we got Corey Lindsley. Continues to dominate. 84 overall pass blocking grade, 73 run blocking grade. He didn't do anything poorly. Then you got David Bakhtiari, almost exact same. Dominant pass blocking grade, good run blocking grade. At number six, you got Aaron Rodgers. I kind of talked about him a little bit. Um... Some people might get upset the fact that he's number six on this list, but, I mean, he they, they gave him a good grade. Um, number seven, actually, Dominique Daphne. Another example of a guy where it's like, look, we're not going to get anything from him because he's a he's a free agent, right? Oh, wait, so is Robert Tunyon. <laughs> Interesting thing is um, he's actually somewhat similar to Tunyon. Um, I know they're using him a lot in that sort of uh, DeGuara role where he's back as a fullback and all that kind of stuff. But uh, he's really small. I mean, he's basically a big wide receiver. He's six foot two, two twenty five, and his forty time. This is probably why he's a tight end. Is a four six one. Tunyon is a four five eight. That's pretty fast for for a tight end. 
So he's actually got a little bit of speed to him. The other thing that's somewhat interesting about Dominique Daphne, and again, I don't want to overhype a, a, a free agent guy, but I also don't want to downplay because every time I downplay a guy, he ends up becoming a pretty big contributor. The fact that we've seen him four weeks in a row since he stepped foot on a field and has seen an increased role and his grades have gotten better, it's, again, worth talking about. He's played weeks 13, 14, 15, and 16. His snap counts were 6, 12, 11, 26. So 6, then they gave him sort of the the lower teens numbers, and then this past week, 26 snaps. They gave him an increased roll. His grades went 56, 52, 63, 70.4. So he's getting more opportunities. He's playing better. And again, he's, he's you know, he's actually bl- pass blocking quite well for being a smaller guy, but, but don't don't sleep on the guy necessarily as a receiver because, again, he's 6'2", 225. He's, he's basically Alan Lazard. Alan Lazard's 40 time is a 4'5", 5, which, yes, that's fast, faster. He's actually taller and heavier as well. <laughs> he's bigger than, than Daphne is. But, I mean, it's, it's marginally slower. So I wouldn't be all that surprised if you start seeing Dominique Daphne uh, get kind of kicked out on things. I mean, he's, he's technically um, he's, he's a quicker guy than uh, DeGuara is. So, obviously, he's got some work to do because, I mean, he's an undrafted free agent. There's a lot of work to do. But, you know, he comes out of Indiana State. It's a smaller school, probably lesser known. So, maybe he didn't get scouted as much. So, it's maybe not even so much as we don't think he's very talented. It's just we don't know what he is. And so, they've had a lot of opportunity to work with him, especially with DeGuara going down. We need another option at that sort of position, that that H-back role, the tight end fullback hybrid. And they've been working on Dominique Daphne basically all year. And then week 13, here he comes. So, I don't know. He hasn't been all that great as a run blocker, which is actually primarily what he's being used for, which is kind of the biggest issue. But um, his his receiving snaps have gone 2, 1, 2, and then 5 this week, and that's where he graded out well. He actually is a good receiver and pass blocker. Where he struggles is what they kind of want him to do, which is probably the biggest issue, is the fact that he's in there to be a run blocker and he's not all that great at it. But again, I mean, that's that's the biggest thing where if we can get that to pick up, then it's really then it's really open season because that's what you want him to do. But then that's where you assume he's going to do that because we're talking out of 26 snaps, 20 of them were run blocking. So when a team sees Dominique Daphne, you assume this is a run. This is sort of your big boy package. If you get people to actually believe that and be concerned about that because he's actually good at it, that's when you get him to kind of chip a guy, slip out, and then he's open in the flat or whatever, you know, which is like the premier DeGuara H-back kind of role. He's in there as sort of a fullback-y kind of guy. He's meant to be a blocker. He's part of these big bulk packages. And when you got a guy like Dylan, you seriously are, are, are a lot more concerned about running and bringing in some extra, uh, you know, some extra thunder. And so you go giving everything you got to take out this Daphne guy. You kind of just brush over his shoulder. You think you did something special and until you realize, wait a minute, that was, <laughs> that was a little easier than it probably should have been. And he slips out. So, you know, I mean, it's not even necessarily that I think Dominique Daphne is going to be this freak of a player. It's just that it's a critical role in this offense, and Matt LaFleur wants it to be a thing really badly. He wants that position. He wants the DeGuara role to be. That's the biggest reason I was big on DeGuara, because I know in this offense that's a pivotal piece. Similar with the Tavon Austin thing. It's not necessarily that I think Tavon Austin is, is a freak. We've seen that he struggles. It's the fact that this is a crucial role. Matt LaFleur wants it to be a thing, and if he can make it a thing, he's going to make it a thing. But if they're not ready, if they can't do it, they're not going to do it. So I guess what I'm saying is keep an eye on Dominique Daphne, because if it ever clicks in his head and he becomes really good as a run blocker and the offensive uh, coordinators and Matt LaFleur and all that can trust him, 
he can become a pretty big piece of this offense just with those little simple passes. Because those little simple passes, I mean, when he slips out, he's already two yards down the field. There should be some green grass in front of him. It's like an automatic seven. Not based on talent, just based on scheme. But again, it comes down to, can I trust you to do your job first? That's the first question. From there, we build. And it just expands the offense because it's another thing the defense has to keep an eye on. Now we got to worry about this dumb Dominique Daphne guy. I shouldn't have to worry about a Dominique Daphne, but that's the beauty of this offense. you got to worry about everybody. It doesn't matter where they were drafted. It doesn't matter what college they came out of. It doesn't matter what their 40 time is. you got to keep eyes on everybody because you never know who's doing what and who's going where. That's the entire point. Then after that, we got his twin, Alan Lazard, who actually graded out quite well. I will say, no, there were people in the 60s and 50s, nobody was 40 and below. So 50, based on my vernacular terminology, whatever, um, is below average. So that's another thing to kind of take note of, and I'm not going to really go through the bad grade, because this is still a let's get hyped kind of a, kind of a thing. But I will say that nobody graded out really badly. Anyways, now would be as good as time as any to take a break and then just kind of launch into defense. We'll kind of do the same thing where we go through it, and then again, I kind of want to just look at um, the latest and greatest of, of our defense, what we've learned, where we are right now. So again, um, I was pretty excited to be able to have a meeting with some of the guys that do some work for me, um, and we really want to try to, to start hammering hard the different avenues we have, and uh, I just really want to make sure that you're a part of it. Number one, please make sure you get into, involved in that newsletter. Uh, if you don't know where to find it, how to find it, please just reach out to me. We've got Dara, who does an unbelievable job every single week of bringing really quality insights, as well as just cool stuff like, you know, birthdays, this time in, in Packers history, or this week in NFL, or Packers history, uh, matchup, fantasy. I mean, it's it really is. I mean, you see those, like, dope sheets or whatever online? Those are usually pretty stupid. <laughs> I, there's, like, two bits of information in there. Like, this is a great pile of information. It is 100% free. We're not selling you anything. It's just Dara wants to write because he wants to kind of crack into this thing. I want to be able to have a newsletter at my disposal. JJ has experience with these things, so we thought it was a perfect fit. Um, but I mean, it's just it's just completely free. Just give me your email. I mean, if you want to just do that, honestly, that's, that's another way you can do it. Just throw your email at me, and I'll put you in the new. Just th- give me your email and be like, hey, this is uh, for the newsletter. I will put it, I will sign you up. But, um, that's the one thing we talked about. Is like there's there's no reason for 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 any Packer fan to not sign up for this. As much junk as we get in our emails, this is the one thing every week that I actually want to open. Otherwise, Pack Daddy NFL is my uh, YouTube. If you wouldn't mind supporting that, um, I am going to be wrapping up r- ramping up the Packers content. Um, as silly as it sounds to be doing more work, I just I want to, so I'm going to. I <laughs> we got to find. If you guys find more hours in the day, let me know. I could use a couple, but. Um, as the schedule is right now, what I usually do is Saturdays and Sundays, I work on all my draft content for the week. Uh, that gives me some time during the week to kind of work on some videos. And now that I'm using the laptop, it's actually a blessing in disguise because it's not great to have a family and then just run downstairs in the basement and do video editing stuff. But now that it's a laptop, I can be up and around the family and just kind of set it down and, you know, do stuff. Let's just say there's a little bit more time these days to do things. So I feel like filling that with more content because that's how I roll. But um, highlight videos, kind of like the A.J. Dillon one, but uh, maybe just weekly, you know, highlights of, of the Packers versus Tennessee, certain players. I, I 100,000% want to do a Darnell Savage video. I'm super jacked about that. The problem is I, 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 I do everything too much in my brain. Like, in my brain, it's just, 
I don't know about you guys, I've got a bunch of like movie ideas in my head, and they're really cool movies, and I know that I'd never be able to figure out how to do it, and, and I want to make like a cool movie with this Darnell Savage thing, and really play on the word savage. And it's like, you don't have the ability as a filmmaker to do any of this stuff. You gotta dumb it down, but I just, again, I'm, I'm really enjoying it, and I'm having fun, and I just want you to be a part of it. So, Pack Daddy NFL or Packernet Podcast, I'm gonna try to get those videos up on there as much as possible. Again, highlights. Packers highlights, player highlights, and then obviously when the NFL draft rolls around, uh, getting some of those guys some some hype videos and whatnot. I've got uh, Mr. Basarowski who's going to help me kind of work through some of this stuff. He is the he's kind of the man among boys in this space. He's been doing it a long time. He's got some videos that are you know million views and whatnot. He's had Green Bay Packers pay him to make their hype videos and stuff. So there's there's several people that do it, but he is the OG. He's he's the man in that space. Make sure you subscribe to him as well. Anyways, that's. Uh, Again, I got other sales pitches, but I've been rambling long enough. If you want to reach out, anything you're interested in, thoughts, comments, concerns, you want to support the show, you want to help the show, you want to be a part of the show, just reach out. I'm around. I could always find work for someone to do. Anyways, let's take a break. We'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, looking at the defensive side of the ball, we're going to start off with the um, the grades. Again, only 7 out of 23, which isn't great. And there were three guys that were in the bad, one in the terrible column, and one guy was in the below average. So four guys were um, below 60. Um, two of them were in the 40s. One of them was in the 20s, which is really, really bad. But, you know, at the same time, you can afford to have a guy. When you've got four guys basically with elite grades and seven that are playing really well, um, that's exciting. But again, Rashawn Gary was the highest graded guy. Um, Rashawn Gary is still in the flashes stage. Right? He shows up and then he disappears, and then he shows up and he disappears. And if I'm going to trash other guys for doing it, I should be talking about Rashawn Gary in that same light. The only reason I'm super positive about him is that people are unfairly negative to him. 
38 pressures on 282 attempts. Anybody want to do quick math on that? You think it's more or less than 10%? Fact of the matter is he's at 13.5%. I mean, that's that's premier. Um, and seven sacks, again, it's seven because they don't count half sacks, which I think is a stupid stat. If we're going to count half sacks, then we should be... I don't want to get into that. If you want to argue with me about half sacks, go ahead. You, if you feel like losing an argument, come on over and talk to me about it. But remember, that's seven sacks for a guy that hasn't played all that much. Rashawn Gary has rushed the passer 282 times. Zadarius has rushed the passer 507 times. Zadarius has 13 sacks on 507 attempts. If Rashawn Gary had the same amount of attempts as Zadarius, which, spoiler alert, he probably will next year because I don't think Preston's getting paid, which I'm not giddy about in any sense. I I, I like that we have additional guys. To be to be completely honest, um, I wouldn't be shocked if we draft an edge rusher. Maybe not first round, but, you know, it gets pretty thin, and these guys go out regularly. You know, almost every game you see Zadarius hobble to the sideline, Rashawn hobble to the sideline. They come back because they're tough as nails. I've never seen so many guys get hurt and just come right back. But, um, you know, there's a pretty steep drop-off, and I don't know if the Packers are going to be super comfortable with that. So just something to prepare for, because nobody's talking edge rusher, and people are going to lose their minds if we draft one, but we might. Anyways, um, again, if we take the stats for Rashawn and, and... extrapolate out over what Zadarius has done. Rashawn has 50 pressures. Excuse me, Zadarius has 50 pressures. If Rashawn had the same amount of attempts and kept the same percentages, he'd be at 68 pressures. That would be third in the NFL behind Shaquille Barrett and TJ Watt. And then if we extrapolate the sacks, it would come out to about between 12 and 13. If we round it properly, it would be 13, which is what Zadarius has. So, um, you know, 60, what did I say, 68 pressures and 13 sacks? With Sedarius at uh, 50 pressures and 13 sacks. Again, the grades aren't all that great, um, largely due to the run defense. But again, he's got some real talent in that regard. And the, the, the crazy thing is, it's the run defense that gets him when he has a bad day. He's got some terrible grades and some below average grades, and usually it's because he's doing terrible as a run defender. However, when he has a really good game, a lot of the time it's because he had an elite run defense grade. He's got unbelievable talent in that regard, and we saw it in spades against Tennessee. This was his highest run defense grade of the of the year probably he's ever had, and we saw it, right? His ability to set the edge, rip guys out of his way, make tackles. I mean, just, he's, this is what he can do. He just has to be more consistent. That's it. I mean, it, it's kind of similar to what we said with Jair, what we said with uh, Darnell. The upside, and not everybody has this. I'm not saying this about Dominique Daphne. I'm not saying it about Tunyon. I'm not saying it about a lot of guys because they physically, well, Tunyon actually does. With the, the the physical attributes he has, he may have that ability. But it's not freakish the way Jair, Rashawn, and Zadarius are. Excuse me, and, and uh, Savage are. These guys have physical attributes that even, even guys like Zadarius don't have. Zadarius is where he is because he just he just figured it out, and he is just a very good football player. Rashawn is almost the opposite end of the spectrum. He's a, compl- a super raw player with, with that just has attributes that almost nobody physically has. You know how they talk about Michael Phelps as a swimmer? Like he just, y- you can't beat the guy because he's a, he's cheating with his DNA. That's Rashawn Gary. So really it just comes down to we need more consistency. Um, the, the scary thing about him is he had a great game. The last time before this he had a really good game was week 11. Now, he's had several really good games in terms of pressures. Uh, week 15, 3 on 25 is fine. 5 on 26 against Philadelphia is great. But his run defense grades have been kind of terrible for about the last four weeks. So the odds that he's going to be playing at this high of a level, or even a good level, throughout the playoffs are fairly low. But it's good that they're starting to happen more often, because similar to what I said about, uh, I forget who it even was now, 
basically weeks one through nine, he didn't have a single good game. Um, weeks one and two, the pressures were fairly high, and then the pressures completely fell off. There was no pressure. The run defense grades were fairly low. There was nothing. Since then, it was good game, good game, bad game, average game, average game, bad game, elite game. So three. So it went from zero good game to three very good game out of, uh, what, seven? Not good enough, but it's certainly trending in the right direction. So at the very least, we should expect them to at least do it once from now until the Super Bowl or whenever we, you know, how far we make it. So encouraging, you know, he's got a, he's definitely got a ways to go. But um, this is, I mean, it, it, it's very reminiscent of Savage. I mean, Savage was probably overhyped by Packer fans and by me just because I liked him and he did a good job. And then you saw that big flash, that super elite grade, that one time, and he basically hasn't turned around since. This is the first time Rashawn's ever gotten an elite grade. We'll see what happens. Maybe something just clicked. After that, you have Zadarius Smith. Zadarius, uh, we're talking about the overall grades now. Rashawn was number one. Zadarius was number two. Almost an identical grade. Um, four pressures on 25 attempts is not quite as good of a grade overall. He did have one sack, though. Actually, had a higher overall pressure or pass rush grade. Zadarius is another one that um, somewhat of a disappointment. I know nobody really necessarily agrees with that because they see 13 sacks and say, where do you see a regression? Um his run defense, as well as just his overall grade, I mean, granted, this is still his second best year ever, um, and it's his second year with Green Bay, so there you go, but he went from a basically a 90 overall grade right now, he's at a 77, but more consistency at the top, right, so it was good game, two bad games, great game, one bad game, uh, good game, one bad game, two good games, average, average, bad, good, good, elite, so three games of at least decent, the pressures have been fairly high, for quite a while now. Um, to start the season, for example, weeks two and three and uh, six and eight, they were all really bad in terms of pressure. Two on 34 attempts, zero on 39 attempts, one on 27 attempts, zero on 32 attempts. That stuff is nonsense. So it's basically good game, bad game, bad game, good game, bad game, good game, bad game. Since then, it's been four, five, two, five, five, two, four, four. So good, good, not great, good, very good, not great, good, good. Again, just more consistency. It's still not 2019 levels. By 2019, he had 105 pressures. 2020 right now, he has 50. He has half the amount of pressures. We are definitely beyond the halfway mark. But again, we're starting, and I couldn't care, I could not care any less about weeks one through eight when we're talking about the playoffs. The point is, can you keep this up? Can you please keep it up? If Rashawn can keep it up, if Zadarius can keep it up, there is no stopping the Green Bay Packers. That's the only question. I don't care about Tampa Bay, New Orleans, Buffalo, the Chiefs. I care about none of that. None of that. Can you keep this up? Nobody stops the Packers from hoisting a trophy if Rashawn and Zadarius can keep this up, if Savage and Amos can keep this up, if Aaron and Devontae can keep this up, if Dylan and Jones can keep this up. Nobody stops the Packers. I could not care any less what anybody else says. The only question, can you keep it up? If you answer yes, Zadarius, if you answer yes, Rashawn, Dylan, offensive line, 100,000% nobody beats this team. Buffalo can stick it. Moving on. Next up, with also an elite grade, 89.9, Darnell Savage, 91 coverage grade. You want to talk about a guy that that had like one good game and then uh, it really just clicked. And the the scary thing about it, Darnell Savage actually regressed at the start of the season and it worried me because, again, my prediction was he's going to be the breakout guy and I may have already conceded that about halfway through. Like looks like my prediction was wrong. He had his first good game in week 11. 
Week 11, 75.9 overall grade. Then week 12, he had his 96.3 overall grade. The problem is the very next week, even though he had the stats were fine, 37 overall grade is what they gave. Now, we all gave him a pass because it was like, well, the stats are still pretty good. So whatever, but still it's like it still felt like it was going to be a fluke. He has not had a bad day since. 77, 70, and then 90. And then again, you look at the stats, it's just stupid. Since week 9, he's only had one game in which he didn't have a pass breakup or an interception. Week 9, pass breakup. Week 10, two pass breakups. Week 11, pass breakup. Week 12, two interceptions. Week 13, interception. Week 14, nothing but only one reception for four yards. Week 15, pass breakup. Week 16, a pick and two pass breakups. 0.0 passer rating when targeted, which is the second time that's happened this year. He has a 42.5 overall passer rating when targeted, and he started the season. This is how he started the season. This is the passer rating when targeted when he started the season, starting in, or going up until week 9, when something clearly clicked in his brain. Ready? 158.3, Very consistent, but there you go. Those are the passer rating. The yardage given up, 37, 19, 13, 16, 6, 16, 36. He also gave up a touchdown in that stretch. Since then, 39, 39, 0, 42, 83, 39, 0. Overall passer rating, 42.5. Only allowed 10 of 25 targets, which is 40%, which is stupid low. He's allowed 200 yards on the season, which is low. He has allowed one touchdown, has four interceptions, and seven pass breakups. The guy has completely broken out. I have 100,000% confidence in him. The defensive coordinators, the uh, defensive backs coaches, Darnell, they figured it out, right? Something clicked. We figured out the way to use him. Coach Hahn talked about it briefly to me. Um, if, if he wants to do a video, that would make me the happiest person on planet Earth. Coach, if you're listening... I think somebody else brought it up, but he kind of briefly talked about what it is they're doing that's working so well. They're, they're, they figured it out, right? They're utilizing his strengths. And that's not to say he's not going to have a bad day. we got to brace ourselves. Everybody does. If Devontae and Aaron Rodgers can have bad days, Darnell can too. But the point is, when you get to this level of, of consistency, when we're talking it's been a half of a season, I mean, I don't know, when was the last, I mean, forget the grades, when was the last, like, game he just got carved up? Week one, that's it, against Minnesota. And it was one target, one reception for 37 yards and a touchdown. That's, that's. I mean, granted, safeties don't usually have, usually the cornerbacks are the ones that are getting picked on, especially with the stats and everything else. But, I mean, it, it, it's crazy because I, I, there are certain guys that I'm just becoming obsessed with, and um, they're very young. I, 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 you know, I was a super, super, super big fan of Eddie Lacy. I think I'm bigger on A.J. Dillon than Eddie Lacy. And Eddie Lacy was special because not only was he this big, mauling bruiser back, but he was like the first good running back we had in a long time. We have a good running back already. We don't even need A.J. Dillon. Um, but Darnell Savage is right up there with him. I mean, when you ask who's your favorite player, you got to say guys like Rodgers and Devontae and whatnot because they're they're just special. But there's just something about these guys that just, they 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 give you chills, man. Maybe it's just, it's, it's probably just the unknown, right? Because your imagination takes you places. You think about Darnell Savage, and I, I remember back to when I said, he's the one guy. Amos is, is playing at his best potential right now. We'll get to him. He's already there, right? And that's great. I'll take best version of Adrian Amos all day, every day. He's one of the best safeties in all of football. But Darnell Savage has Hall of Fame level potential. Amos has the potential to be a top five safety on a, on a, on a year-to-year basis. He has been. Darnell Savage has, you know, I don't, I'm not going to, that's Hall of Fame, let's just say. I was going to say top five all time, but that's, let's, let's cool it. There's been some stupid safeties out there. 
But really, I mean, the one guy that I think of is, is a guy like Earl Thomas. You know, he's one of the rare guys that just has that speed to go sideline to side. Now, again, I, again, I'm explaining why I'm so excited because you know that there's a really high potential out there. You just don't know where he's going to go. And when your imagination, that childlike imagination takes over and you realize, I don't have to put a damper on it. I don't have to pump the brakes. Some people are going to tell me to. They have been for a while. I've been over the moon about so many things. Like, dude, you know, that was one of the comments on my A.J. Dillon video. Like, dude, we don't even know who this guy is yet. What are you doing? You know, Gutekunst, like, dude, chill. He's not the, I mean, he's fine, but he's not the greatest ever. I, I don't care, dude. Goot is a freak. A.J. Dillon is a freak. Aaron Jones is a freak. Dillon's a freak. Rogers is a freak. Devontae's a freak. Freak, freak, freak. We're going to win a Super Bowl. Go ahead and tell me I'm stupid. I don't care. I mean, I, I again, this is this is just, this is rare. I, I haven't been doing this since forever, but I've been doing this long enough to know that you don't see things like this. The, the amount of talent, the amount of elite talent is unbelievably rare. The amount of youthful talent. Jair is, is what? Jair and Darnell are like 23. They are. They're both 23 years old. Kenny Clark is like 15, I think. His age goes backwards, I'm pretty sure. Rashawn, ridiculously young. Whoever our linebackers are going to be going forward, with the exception of Kirksey, very young. Even the veterans aren't old. Devontae's like 28. Zadarius is like 28. Amos is like 28. 28 is like the old guys on the team. We've got like 22-year-olds and we got 28-year-old veterans. And then, you know, Aaron. And Mercedes, obviously. Just the blend of talent and potential and youth. It's... I, I would be stunned if there's a, a more promising team in the NFL. And we're talking about promising at the same time we're talking about probably best team in the NFL. Imagine being already the best in the NFL and the most promising. That's stupid. I talk about Miami being promising because they have a lot of draft picks, but they still have to hit on those picks first. I just, I, I never want this season to end. Part of me never wants the playoffs to come because it all comes crashing down if they lose. And I don't want to have to hear people say it, none of it was real because it is real. It's real right now, and it doesn't all disappear if they lose in the playoffs. It just doesn't. I don't want this year to feel like a failure because this is a special year. And so no matter what happens, we need to take the time right now to recognize how crazy this is. But even, again, even if they lose, one of the best things about this team is the youthful potential. It's crazy. I mean, what, what do the Bears have? What do the Vikings have in terms of youthful? They got one. They got Cam Dantzler, great corner. He's coming on real strong. That's great. Probably not Jair good. Their safeties are old and going away. Their linebackers are old and going away. Their defensive line, they don't have anybody except an old guy. Daniil Hunter's very young. That's great for them. They've got like two youthful offensive linemen. They're going to need a new quarterback at some point. They got one really good wide receiver. One guy's really old. I mean, it's just there's every there's old people everywhere. The Lions just got to tear it down and start over. I mean, that's and that's the thing. That's the norm. I'm not even necessarily trashing these teams. It's just that's the norm. You got like three or four really good players, a handful of guys that are good but getting old. And a bunch of, I don't know what to do with this nonsense. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Anyway, speaking of Jair, uh, he is the fourth and final, basically, elite player of the group. 88.8 overall grade. Jair Alexander is um, just phenomenal. Still the second highest graded corner behind, uh, well, let me verify that. Yeah, second highest barely behind Xavier Howard. If you're keeping track, Xavier Howard is an absolute freak show. And the fact that he's basically tied with Xavier Howard right now is crazy. But uh, Jair Alexander right now is, let's see, 32 of 64, which is 50%, which is ridiculously low. 50% of the time when he's targeted, it gets caught. 330 yards only. Longest reception he gave up all year was 32 yards. He's only given up two touchdowns on the season, one of which came week one. So since then, he's only given up one, and that was to Philadelphia. He adds to that one interception and 12 pass breakups. This also was the highest graded game he's had since week four. The other thing that's probably the most exciting, though, 
is the fact that he actually had a rough stretch from week uh, 8 through 12. And you start to worry because he was great. Weeks 1 through 7, he didn't have a single bad game. 70, 90, 70, 90, 70, 70. Doing some heavy rounding there, but those were his grades to start the season. Then 53, 50, 65, 45. That's scary. Now, the stats weren't that bad, but just, again, when you see the grades start to plummet, you're like, oh, no, what's going on? Because you feel like there's a bad game coming. Since then, 75, 76, 71, and then 87 this past week. Again, third best game all year, best game since week four, and he hasn't had a bad game since week 12 against Chicago, and even that was more or less just the grades. He didn't, uh, he, well, 10 targets, five receptions is kind of a lot, I guess, but only 47 yards, no touchdowns, 63.3 overall pass rating. If that's a bad day for Jair, I think I'll take that. Um, other good grades, Kenny Clark. He's one of the guys that, and I kind of mentioned Everybody on this list gets you excited for a different reason. You know, Rashawn is the guy we need to see more from. Zadarius is a guy we, we just want to see that revival from. Darnell Savage, we want to see that consistency. Please don't fall off. Please don't tell me this was a fluke. Please keep it coming, and he keeps it coming. Jair, we, we, you know, he had that rough stretch. Is this, is this a problem, or is he back? Four weeks in a row now, I think he's back. Now we get Kenny Clark, and Kenny Clark hasn't really been doing what we need from him. The consistency is way off, and he doesn't really have any, like, dominant games. I think uh, week 15 against Carolina was the one game in which you could call it dominant, 85.8 overall grade. But I do think we're starting to see a little bit more consistency from Kenny. For example, weeks 1 through 9, and granted he missed a huge pile, so we're only talking about five games, but weeks 1 through 9, he had one game in the 70s. Weeks 10 through 16, um, five. Five out of seven. So that consistency is there. The problem is weeks 12 and 13 were really bad. But also the pressures are really starting to ramp up, which is probably the most important thing. Um, if you look at the start of the season, his pressures were 0 That's unbelievably unacceptable. I don't care about scheme. I don't care about double teams. 0 Having, you know, one pressure in five of your first six games, unbelievably ridiculous. And even that four-pressure game was on 33 attempts, so it's just barely above 10%. Since then, 4 4 2 4 5 3. That's much better. Again, nothing super elite. 4 on 30 is, is good. 4 on 37 is adequate. 2 on 31 is not good. 4 on 44 is adequate. 5 on 31 is good. 3 on 24 is fairly good. And he only has two sacks on in that stretch. But again, it's there. He had zero sacks prior to this. So the pressures are ramping up. The sacks are ramping up. His run defense grades since week 12, 54, 51, 63, 63, 69. So there's a slow upward trend. He's, you know, I don't even want to call it getting hot at the right time. He's slowly ramping up to being good at the right time, from bad to adequate to good. Um, again, I'll, I'll take that. It's still a frustration because it, the year should never have been this way. Now, granted, again, there's there's the injury in there. It's possible that's still lingering and there's still some other issues going on. And possibly in 2021, he comes back fully healthy. We bring in another defensive tackle to take some pressure off. And Kenny is just the man. But, I mean, overall, this is more or less kind of unacceptable. But, again... Looking forward, I don't care about weeks 1 through 13. Tell me 14, 15, and 16 are going to continue for the rest of the, the season because he had three good weeks in a row. His only three-game stretch all year. That's consistency. Three games in a row is we're starting to talk about some legitimate consistency. And it's one of those things where if he had done that, I mean, if, if you even take, let's see, what is week 10 through 16, I wonder? Yeah, he'd be at a 76 overall grade, 23 pressures on 230 attempts. So, I mean... Just from that point, and, and he's got the two bad games mixed in, not bad. I mean, still not, not where you want it to be, but 24th overall, 10%, two sack, 
73 run defense grade, 71 uh, pressure grade. I'll take it. And then again, if we just look at the last three weeks, he's actually the eighth highest graded overall um, defensive tackle. So again, if you want to talk about Kenny's kind of coming back, Kenny's resur- uh, there's a resurgence. I mean, yeah, depending on if you think three weeks is enough. But again, th- in the last three weeks, eighth best, one spot behind Chris Jones, which makes me extremely excited because he's been Chris Jones. I mean, even the stats are similar. 85.4 compared to 85.5. Kenny Clark has been a better run defender than Chris uh, uh, Chris Jones. Pass rush grades, 83 compared to 91. Uh, pressures, Kenny Clark has 12. Chris Jones has 14. Sacks, Kenny Clark has one. Chris Jones has two. So the last three weeks, these two guys, and, and again, Chris Jones is the standard. I mean, it was Kenny Clark and Chris Jones were the same guy, but Kenny is kind of dipped, and he needs to get back up to that Chris Jones level. And as of the last three weeks, he is. They're, they're basically identical. So that makes me happy. Again, it's just a matter of just keep it up. I, I don't even necessarily need better. Just stay at this level, and I'm, I'm happy. Do a good job against the run. Give me 11-12% on pressure. Um, a buddy of mine, Blaine, who's in the Facebook group a lot, he pointed out if you look at next-gen stats, average yards from the quarterback when the ball is thrown. Kenny's very cl- I mean, closer, way closer than the NFL average, closer than anybody else on our defense. The point is he is getting consistent push. Whether that translates to a sack or even a pressure is a separate thing, but, but you know, you one of the pivotal things, and I talked about this as far as bringing pressure, is usually a compressed pocket. We don't really have a lot of those guys that just are speed guys off the edge that'll fly up and smoke a guy by himself. We need everybody to get consistent push, and that's usually what it is. Our guys don't even really try to get around anybody. They push the, the offensive lineman back into the quarterback, and so now he's he's shoulder to shoulder with his own tackles, and he's got his center right in his face. As soon as he tries to slip out, that's when that big old bear paw comes and grabs you and rips you down. I mean, this, that's that's what this defense is. They're big old boys, and they're just going to manhandle your offensive line. They don't have T.J. Watt. They don't have Rashawn Evans. They don't have these 245-pound pass rushers that speed rush around the edge and just smoke a guy before he has a chance to even get his eyes up. So if, if Kenny Clark is just bringing that push, I'm good with it. Uh, next guy with a solid grade, Mr. Kamal Martin. He just keeps coming. Again, another guy that you just want to see it because I just want to believe it's true. I mean, he's been one of the more consistent guys all year. Again, his second and third games were not great, which made it seem like the whole thing was a fluke. So he started in week seven, and so the first three games, week seven, eight, and ten, his grade first grade was a 77, then it was a 54, and then a 52, or 55 and 52, whatever. And so you say, okay, he had one good game, and then he's not good. Then he had two good games, and it's like, wait a minute, now that's three out of five. Then he had a 60, which is kind of average, but still not bad. Since then, 83, 74, and 70. He's one of the highest graded linebackers in the NFL. 179 snaps is not a fluke. Nine games is not a fluke. He's just a good football player. And again, I, tr- I trust Petten and our, our head coach and our defensive coaches and all the, all the different guys involved. His snap counts are still relatively low. And so my interpretation of this outside of possibly our defensive coordinator is an idiot, which is an option, but as good as the defense is doing, I'll, uh, I'll withhold that judgment. The assumption is, similar to Savage, he does some things really well, and the defensive coordinators, coaches, they do a great job of putting him in spots to succeed. In other words, if you made him... Christian Kirksey or, you know, the, the guy that has to do everything, you'd probably see these grades dip quite a bit. He's very rarely in coverage, very rarely. So he's probably coming out largely in, in running downs, probably first down and short yardage type stuff. They slip Kamal out there, and he's doing a good job. I mean, it's just across the – I mean, he has a 75 coverage grade, a 70 pass rush grade, a 60.6 tackling grade, which, you know, is basically because weeks 8 and 13 he had grades in like the 20s and 30s. 
but he's been pretty consistently solid in that category as well. And his run defense grade overall is a 70. Overall grade 77. I mean, he's, he's just a good football player. Again, now maybe there are some limitations to where he's never going to be the Blake Martinez, but whatever. Give me a rotational guy that when you put him out there is dominant, I'll take that. And then the final guy that had a really good day, which is great to see, is Christian Kirksey. Um, it was the only game all year in which he had a 70 or higher overall grade. He did have a couple that were kind of close, but um, run defense grade is still really low. It was a 37.1. He also didn't play hardly any snap. Um, his snaps were brought down to 12. But um, when you're playing 12 snaps and end up with a pick, you're going to get graded off fairly well. His tackling grade was high. Pass rush grade was high. He came once and got home. It was uh, one pressure. Uh, one pressure attempt, and he got a sack on it. And then uh, also when he was dropped in coverage, he only dropped in coverage three times and ended up with a pick. So his eight run defense reps were not great, but uh, his four times either rushing the passer or dropping in coverage, he did a great job. So kudos to him for getting his first good grade of the season. Unfortunately, his overall grade is a 40, which actually isn't that divergent from what it's been. Uh, this is why I wasn't super excited. In 2019, his grade was a 48. Uh, 2018, his grade was a 44. So he's consistently been in the 40s. Even before that, he's never graded out in the 70s. So again, I, I was never really excited about Christian, but it's good to see that, again, we got a contributor. Even if Christian's that guy that's going to have one or two more good days from now until the end of the season, I'll take that. Because not everybody on this team is going to be dominant. It's a matter of how many dominant guys can we get on a, on a given day. And you take the guys that are dominant every day, then you add in the guys that are kind of iffy, you know, once every other day, once every third day, you know, twice a year. And the more of those you have, the more likely it is you're going to have a, a pile of guys. So that was it. Uh, some some uh, notable mentions here, just going through uh, the specific grades for each category. Run defense grade, only two were 70 and above, Rashawn Gary and Kevin King. Kudos to Kevin King for, uh, for doing that. Not a terrible grade for him. Um, his grades have been dipping quite a bit, C- kind of concerned about his level of play recently, but he did not have a terrible day today, Sunday, I don't know why I said today. Tackling grades were pretty phenomenal. If we include the, include the high 60s, like 69 and above, Tyler Lancaster, Kingsley Kiki, Kenny Clark, Christian Kirksey, Kamal Martin, Zadarius Smith, Dean Lowry, Jair Alexander, Rashawn Gary, and Chandon Sullivan from lowest to highest all had really good grades. That's basically half the defense. Pass rush grades, again, kind of going from that high 60s and above. Uh, Brian Price, yes, he's still a guy. Yes, he's still playing. Nose tackle. Um, He actually had a decent pass rush grade. Randy Ramsey, on three attempts, had one pressure. Christian Kirksey, obviously, I mentioned. Then Rashawn Gary and Zadarius with solid pressure grades. And then in coverage, Adrian Amos did have a good coverage grade. The only reason he wasn't in that 70s category, he was in the 60s, is because his run defense and tackling were low uh, this week. But uh, solid coverage grade, and then Christian Kirksey, Jair, and Darnell Savage. Um, I mean, look, right now, and I'm kind of cherry-picking data, but if you look in recent history, we have Kenny Clark, you know, just just look at the last three to five weeks. Kenny Clark is playing like a top-10 defensive tackle. Zadarius and Rashawn are playing like top-10 edge rushers. We've got linebackers that are starting to ball out. Kamal has been consistent, and then we usually have one other guy that kind of steps up, whether it's Chris Barnes or Christian Kirks. And that's important because to start the season every week, if we had five terrible players, three of those five would be linebackers every single week. Worst linebackers in all of football. That's not the case anymore. Um, I think we might have the best safety duo in all of football, which is unbelievably beneficial. Uh, We have one of the best corners in all of football, best quarterback, best wide receiver, best offensive line, um, probably the best running back tandem. Again, I mean, it's, it. you know, if you don't want to pick the Packers as Super Bowl favorites, I don't hate you. I understand the Bills hype. Uh, I could probably get behind the Saints hype, Chiefs hype, just based on the fact that they find ways to win. But if uh, if the Packers aren't on your list, you're not doing it right. 
it's just that simple. So anyways, I really got to get going. Um, tomorrow I want to talk about a couple other playoff teams that we didn't mention that do have a chance to get in, and that's the Giants and the Cowboys. One of them might be worth being worried about. One of them is something we should all be praying for because they're a garbage team that could luck their way in. You could probably figure out which one is which. Maybe not. I don't know. But again, uh, super excited. We got a big game coming up against Chicago. Um, fact of the matter is if, if they, if the Packers continue what they're doing, they're going to embarrass Chicago. I haven't really fully invested in it, but, um, you know, this is, this is probably going to be built up as kind of a clash of the Titans. And to be honest, I'm excited about it. I mean, I'm worried that the, the Bears show up and the Packers don't. That's always a, a possibility. But, I mean, if, if you look at what this has been hyped up to, should I make a Bears-Packers hype video? That'd be crazy. I'm so I'm not good at it, so I feel like I'm going to not do it justice, but I, I want to. Because it's worth getting high. I mean, first of all, it's, it's, it's a divisional game, oldest rivalry in, in history. Um, it's for the Bears' playoff hopes. It's for the Packers' number one seed. You also have the Packers' number one offense with an ascending defense, and you have the Bears with a dominant defense and an ascending offense. I mean, this is this is a serious. I mean, whether we want to believe in any of these things or or trust any of these things, this really is a premier game coming up, and it's definitely worth getting hyped up about. So, anyways, again, I got to get going. You folks have yourselves a great day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one.